Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy weather Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble on trouble. Well, I think on that Beat note, I better leave. We're gonna kick old trouble out the door now. I've actually been a good boy today. I've actually come one minute before four, <laughs> and I've asked the guests their name. Oh, well which done. Which I stuffed up, Dale, as usual. Oh, you know. Yeah, this is radicalist. Don't make excuses for me. You, haven't, you, you don't. You don't exist. You may exist. We'll, we'll give you life in sixty seconds, but at the minute, you don't exist. Nobody knows you here except Dale and I, and we can terminate that at any time if you get out of. You know, I don't want you to be uncontrollable like those other two women in the program before us. You know, those music junkies. Okay, Dale, how are you? I'm. I'm functioning. So functioning. That's, that's a start. You've survived your Queensland extravaganza? Oh, for the moment. Yeah. Well, Dale, I know how you feel. Other <laughs> people go to Queensland for holidays. We were born in Queensland. We go to Queensland for things we have to do in a yeah. familial direction, mm. and we come back and we feel a little bit under the weather. Yeah, yeah, Not it because takes a while. I've been back for three weeks now, but I'm still really depressed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what happens. Look, um, look. I'm sure Jemima Amory Gale is not interested in that particular garbage. Look, I've met you before. I've met you before at West Papua and Doos, and mm-hmm. I, even, I, even, I even bludgeoned you to getting your father to join the West Papua and Rent Collective. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Is he still paid up member? Yes, he is. That's good. I've checked. <laughs> yeah, well, we need another 20. We're running short of members. They keep dying or moving into state. Little do they remember they go to any Commonwealth bank. <laughs> so over the last three weeks, we've had three people from the West Papua community, two that came on the big canoe, and now we've got little, well, big Jemima, big in terms of commitment. Now, Jemima, we only asked two questions on this program. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot at the beginning, and then by the end, we can't stop you talking. I know you don't talk much, <laughs> so we're going to have to extract the truth out of you. Um, Dale, did you bring those um, toothpicks? <laughs> I don't think we'll need them. <laughs> That's okay. All right. All right. It's all right, Jemima. Uh, Just a little. Instruments of torture. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, we won't get the truth out of you. Now, Jemima, <laughs> the first question is, it'll take you 30 seconds, and the next question will... You just go for it. We don't ask you anything. We go to, we go outside, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of tea, and we leave you to it. And your mama, what year were you born in? 1986. 19, we're pretty old. I am pretty old. You're, you're what? 30? 31. So old. 86, 31. Yeah, you're right. 31. You don't look 31. Oh, thanks. You look, you look about 42, but that's a different matter. <laughs> now, now, your mama. Ouch. 
What's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Hmm, I think, because your memories get warped by looking at photos, but mm. the first mm. thing I know must be a memory is slipping my hand into my grandpa's hand when we were walking on his farm together. That's very nice. It is a nice memory. I have a grandson, I know what you mean, yes. You think, when do we get rid of this little pesky monster? But obviously <laughs> you weren't a pesky monster. What do you think, think, about three or four were? About three, I think. About three. And are both your parents alive still? Mm-hmm. Well, we can't say anything bad about them then. Were they born in Australia or they come from different parts of the universe? Both born in Australia. What parts of Australia are now? My dad's off a wheat sheep farm in Narandra in mm. New South Wales. Mm. And my mum was born in Adelaide. Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Mm, a city girl. No, well, she started off a city girl, but then moved. My grandpa bought a dairy farm and they moved down when she was in primary school, just out of Victor Harbour. Victor Harbour in South mm-hmm. Australia. I've been to Victor Harbour. I've seen the cows. There's not many left, are there now? No, since South Australia deregulated the milk industry, they dwindled. It dwindled. All I see is apartments and Victor Harbour and mm-hmm. sandy beaches and blue God's water. God's waiting room, they call it. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I thought surface was God's waiting room, <laughs> surface paradise. Well, it's South Australia's is Victor Harbour. Well, I, I thought the whole of South Australia was God's waiting Almost, room. Almost, yes. <laughs> All right. So, were you born in South Australia? I was born in Victor Harbour. In Victor Do they have a, what, mm-hmm. a home birth or something? No, they've got a little community hospital, little community South Coast hospital. hospital. 1986. Mm-hmm. Right. So, they rushed your mum in from the dairy farm. No. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, she was living there at oh, the time. She was living with her parents. Mm-hmm. And were they born in South Australia too? Or did they? Yeah, both born in South Australia. I could go on for generations, <laughs> can't I? I think fifth generation. Fifth generation yep. South Australians. All right. I'll ask you during the interview why you're here, but that's a different <laughs> matter if you come from God's waiting room. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's exciting. It's about as boring as you can get, exactly. isn't it? You know, we get people here who've got... You know, comes from southern Sudan or Sudan or Udna Data. You come from... White and boring. Well, no, 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 no. You come from Victor Harbour. You can be white and exciting. (laughs) I've met one or two white exciting people (laughs) in my life. All right. So, did you go to kindergarten or something? Yep. I went to kindy in Darwin, or preschool they called it. (coughs) Or bachelor, actually. (coughs) What happened to the dairy farm? We were just there for the first year of my life. Mm, they were collecting money, were they, to disappear, your parents? <laughs> Finding mm, more promising career paths, I guess. Oh, so they didn't want to be dairy farmers? My dad didn't want to milk for the rest of his life, no. As in, didn't, he hear, didn't they have machines in those days? They did, but they're still human operated. Oh, right. So he didn't want to milk. All right. And your mum? She was happy to be a milkmaid? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to do further study. Uh, so what did they end up doing? Both my parents are linguists. Oh, how embarrassing for <laughs> me. Linguists. Yep. I'm interviewing the daughter of two linguists. That's right. <laughs> and you can barely pronounce her name. <laughs> With right. Jemima. <laughs> With a G, not a J. I said, Jemima. <laughs> no, it's Jemima. No wonder. You got any brothers and sisters? One younger sister. Uh, well, uh, I'm going to ask a stupid question. Mm-hmm. How do two linguists make a living in Darwin? 
Mm, well, initially we were in bachelor and Dad was lecturing at bachelor college. And what's that? It's uh, mostly training teachers. Oh, about right. an hour out of Darwin. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was lecturing in Indigenous linguistics mainly. Mm-hmm. And what is he? Is he multilingual? You know, some Indigenous languages. Yeah. Does he? Both my parents specialise in Indigenous language revival. <sighs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. believe it. What languages? Um, at the moment, Dad at the moment, <laughs> how many languages have <laughs> Dad help well, to revive? Uh, Mum started off as a teacher, mm. and Dad started off as a nurse, both in Indigenous communities, and right. then they got into linguistics. So right. first, they worked with the Yongo in East Arnhem Land. Could you say that again? On Yongamata. 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 And where are they based? East Arnhem Land. Right. Go on. Yeah. Um, and these days, my mum works with the Ngarindari, which are the people of the Lower Murray and Kurong area in right. South Australia. In South Australia. And my dad works with the Ghana, the people of the Adelaide Plains. Right. So they did eventually leave Darwin, I can understand. Mm-hmm. All right. How, how, long, how much of your life did you spend in Darwin? Um, three years. When I was little, when mm-hmm. I was three till I was six, and then I moved back as an adult for 18 uh, months. I'll look at that later on. I, I, don't, I <laughs> wouldn't understand why anybody would go back. <laughs> First time I went to Darwin was in 1972. It, it was a real cultural awakening for me, Dale, in Jemima, going to Darwin. <laughs> How I mean, so? Well, I was a young man, 20, you know, fancy three, in a beat-up old car, which I'd driven up from Queensland, and... Uh, you rock up to the pub as you do, and they say, do you want a bluey, a yellowy, or a greeny? And I'm looking at them, what do you mean? What are you talking about? They're describing the colour of the drink can, you know. Was it a Carlton Draft? Was it a Forex, you know? And I'm thinking, these people are backwards. Colour-coded. Colour-coded. And then, you'll, this, you'll like this, Dale, because this, this will remind you of your, of your, of your misspent youth. You kind of go to the beer garden. Oh, yeah. The beer garden, yeah. which is basically a concrete slab out the back of yeah. the pub. This is 72 before. That's necessary. This is before the cyclone, right? <laughs> okay. And at 9.45, they say, closing time in 15 minutes. Everybody gets up and leaves. And we thought, what, what's all this about, you know? So we stayed. And guess what they did? They hosed us off the concrete slab. <laughs> <laughs> I hope things weren't that bad when you were a kindergarten at Darwin, were they? Not that I remember. No, no, no. Did you? I know this is a stupid question, but did you? Is there anything you like doing at kindergarten? Kindy? Mm. Oh, I love doing stuff like finger painting and <laughs> swimming and playing outside. Swimming? I thought nobody swimmed in, in Darwin. I feel like we swam almost every day at the swimming pool. Oh, at the swimming pool, right? <laughs> yes. Not in the not in the ocean or the river <laughs> or the river. You've got crocodiles and sea wasps to battle with. Yes. And venomous snakes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, why did your parents leave Darwin? Um, my dad got a lecturing position at Adelaide Uni. Mm-hmm. And what, what was he lecturing there? Linguistics. Again. Mm-hmm. What specialising in, in? In Ghana language in, revival. Uh, uh-huh. What's a language revival program? Uh, well, Ghana was a dormant language. There were no living uh, speakers. Look, we're all stupid here. We're all, <laughs> and every one of my listeners and me, apart from Dale, is stupid. <laughs> what is a dormant language? It means it's sleeping because nobody alive is speaking it. But then it's dead, isn't it? Almost, 
but we were lucky in South Australia that we had a lot of Lutheran missionaries who mm. made quite good language records, grammars and vocab. Right. So uh, my dad's PhD revolved around those records and using them to revive the language. Hmm. And what did the local people think about that? They were getting involved. So mm. Dad was helping them to learn their own language mm. and regain it. Mm. And is it used extensively today? Yeah. Um, there's young Ghana people teaching Ghana in schools mm. and it's used often for welcomes to country and other cultural activities. Mm. Mm. Well, obviously, your father's done more than Dale and myself combined have ever done and ever will do. That's not true. I mean, to wake up a dormant language, that, that's extraordinary. That oh, is an extraordinary. It's a fantastic thing. achievement. It's a fantastic a achievement. A team effort. A team effort? Yeah. What? Somebody else involved? The Ghana people. Yeah, yeah. That they just woke it up. Them. Yeah, they, yeah. they kicked the sleeping dragon, didn't they? Yeah. The serpent, I should say, the sleeping serpent, <laughs> and it woke up. Baitja, the snake. What's it? Baitja. Baitja. All right, did you get involved in all this as a young child or did you think this is a bit stupid? Um, well, my parents, both being linguists, often discussed work stuff around the dinner table. Mm. Me and my sister didn't particularly enjoy that at mm. that age. But as I got older, I really appreciated it mm. and tried to tag along with some of their things mm. and learn a bit. Mm. Did, you, did your mother wake up a dormant language? Not dormant. Ngarindari had about... 3,000 words in living memory, mm. but mums um, helped write dictionaries and learner's guides and incorporate more grammar and words from written sources. So are these uh, big language groups in South Australia? Yes. Um, Ngarindari is one of the biggest. Ghana's, well, because their land got taken over by a city, mm-hmm. uh, their genocide was more effective, so less. Ghana speakers left. So that's even more extraordinary, the fact that the language is dormant and the people have been scattered and mm-hmm. dispossessed mm-hmm. and marginalised and criminalised and the language has come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place in heaven for your mother and father. Mm. There's a place in hell for Dale and me. And <laughs> you've, got to, you've, got to work out, you've got to work out your own path. I don't believe in either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not another <Yeah>. atheist. <laughs> We've got three atheists in the room, Dale. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to you. Okay, you go back to Adelaide. What, are you mm-hmm. six or something? Yep, six. Yeah. What happens? You go to a primary school? Yep, Highgate Primary. Highgate. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a state school. Yep. My God, your parents, distinguished academics and linguists, send their little precious little Jemima to a state <laughs> school. What's going on here? That's Obviously, they're radical school. parents, aren't they? <laughs> they're awesome parents. Yeah. Yeah, but then they disappointed me and sent me to a private <gasps> high well, let's talk about primary school. <laughs> See, the thing is, it's a money issue, as you know, Dale. Being a, you know, Dale was a school... Were you a mistress or something? Uh, uh, one of my accidental employment uh, periods was at a private girls' boarding school oh, as a goodness. house mother, and that was terrifying. <laughs> That's why I got a tattoo on my neck, so I'd never get a job like that by accident again. Yeah, well, they rang a to tell her how kind of wilted but she needed the money. Is that about right? Yeah, it was her last year of uni. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I'd run out of all study. All right. So <laughs> did you discover any little talents you had in primary school at Highgate Primary? I was a nerd. Very you were a nerd. Studious. Nothing wrong with being <laughs> a nerd. The daughter of linguists. Yep. The elder sister mm-hmm. in a family of two. <laughs> it's natural you'd be a nerd. What were you interested in? 
Um, science. I love science. Um, animals. Endangered species. Oh. God. So the appearance got a lot to answer for. <laughs> in, you became an endangered species. What, do you yep. want, to, want to breed them and eat them or something? Nope, I wanted to help them survive. It's not like when I was at school. Well, what's this thing that you want to... We, we were out there to get rid of them all. Well, I guess I grew up in the era of David Attenborough. All oh, right. Um, he's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the tragedy of species extinction really um, affected me. It was it, one it, of the most profoundly sad things um, I anything, heard about. Any species specific to South Australia that you were introduced to that had become extinct or in danger? Well, I have a real soft spot for Australian marsupials mm. and monotremes, um, and they're so hard tell, to you see. Can, you can tell. You can tell Jemima's an, a, she's got a scientific bent. She <laughs> used the word monotreme. Now I've been doing this program for six or seven years, and I've never heard the mo- word monotreme. I guess use the word monotreme. Have you, Dale? Oh, not on air, but we haven't spoken to someone who was into monotremes before. Well, that's right. What a shame. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. Could could you? Um, for our more, um, how shall I put it, our more um, stupid listeners, <laughs> like me, could you explain what a monotreme is? Yes, a monotreme is an egg-laying mammal. So there's only a few species, the platypus, mm-hmm. short-beaked echidna in Australia, and a few species of long-beaked echidna in New Guinea. Excuse me, short. So how Beak. about the long-beaked echidna in Australia? Well, Do we have one? If there's a short beak one, it should be a long beak one. There's debate about that. There's a specimen from the Kimberley that's got a tag saying it was collected there, uh-huh. but we're not sure if it's a mislabeling error uh-huh. or if it truly was in the Kimberley and has since gone extinct. Now, can I ask you another question? Is obviously you're a science nerd. Mm-hmm. Maybe you went in that direction later on. Uh, are there any other monotremes? in any other part of the universe apart from New Guinea and Australia? Nope. Unique to us. You mean if we kill every short-nosed echidna and mm-hmm. every platypus in Australia and New Guinea, mm-hmm. there will never be another monotreme anywhere nope. in the universe? We take out a whole order of mammals that have evolved over millennia. That's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Putting yeah. it that way, that is extraordinary to think about that. A whole order of mammals that have evolved over millions of years and we're just happy to munch them up. Mm. That's why mm. I assume the death of those, murder of those six platypus must have been so... Uh, oh, heartbreaking. Mm. 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 All right, so you were finished... Pro- obviously you're a, a superb sports person, weren't you? Oh, no, it's hopeless. Hopeless, okay. <laughs> All right, you leave Highgate Primary School. You're a genius... You're looking at just studious, studious nerd. All right, mm-hmm. you know all about monotremes and endangered species. Your family's resurrecting dormant languages. So where do you go to high school? I went to Concordia College, a Lutheran school around the corner that had a really good music program, and that all my friends were going to. But there's only Lutheran schools in South Australia, isn't that correct? Because they basically founded South Australia. I mean, they colonised South Australia. Yeah, lots of Lutherans in South yeah, Australia. They're everywhere. And all <laughs> yep. the Lutheran names you come across, and yep. all the German Lutherans. Mm-hmm. You want to hear a very esoteric um, uh, question? You mm-hmm. can actually, you know, like you stumbled me with this monitoring garbage. <laughs> I'm going to stumble you for another fact. 
Do you know the South Australian German Lutherans saved sixty saved sorry saved one hundred and twenty thousand young men from being killed in the First World War? No, I didn't know that. And you know how they did that? No. It was their vote against conscription in the first conscription referendum in December 1916 that stopped conscription being introduced into Australia because they were waiting on the vote from South Australia. Wow. Because West Australia voted for it. There you are, see? Wow. And they all walk around, they don't even know that because (laughs) because, uh, 62,000 young Australians died in the First World War and another 60,000 died within 10 years of coming back. Why weren't they teaching us that at school? Well, I don't know, because obviously <laughs> it's the type of history you don't learn at school about the powerful anti-conscription movement mm. in Australia that stopped the government of the day from actually introducing conscription in two plebiscites. Wow. All right, so that's a plebiscite. Their plebiscites, it was good to win. Mm. So every plebiscite Australia's ever had, I think, We've won, and every ref, almost every referendum ref we've lost. Okay. Oh, my goodness. All right. So getting back to you. So what did you, what did you, were you interested in music or something? Is that why you went to Concordia? Yeah, I used to play tuned percussion, like vibraphone and marimba, because oh, my grandpa Dale, ask her about that. it. I, I, I'm, I'm disgusted, this woman. She's, you know, what, what is it, what is she talking about? Like, you know, um, glockenspiels and yeah. xylophones and... Uh, Timpani. She, she's a musician, you know that. Professional yeah. musician. You know that. I've heard. You've heard? <laughs> yeah. Don't believe everything you hear. Well, look, between me and you, Dale is just an extraordinary human being. Mm-hmm. She's quite extraordinary. Yes, but it's not about me. It's about <laughs> Jemima. Yeah, but, you know, I thought you two got something in common. I, I never ask questions about music because I detest it. <laughs> I did music all the way through high school. Um, did you? Were you lucky enough to have that um, opportunity? Yeah, I was. And uh, we had quite a good jazz program. So mm. I played vibraphone in the big band and wow. got to go on camps playing jazz. <laughs> awesome. That sounds great. Sounds very South Australian to me. <laughs> it was very on, South Australian. You go on camps to play jazz. <laughs> yeah, was this one time at band <laughs> That was the end joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously you're quite proficient at this, weren't you? Uh, I wouldn't say that. What do you mean? Um, well, the instruments are not transportable very easily at all, so I've lost all my skills. What do you mean they're not transportable? Well, you can't just pop a vibraphone in your back pocket no. like you can a harmonica. I thought it was a recorder. <laughs> it's probably the size of this desk. That's about three metres by two. Yeah, maybe three by one. By mm. one. A vib- so what, you, what is a vibraphone? It's got like a piano but with metal oh, keys right. that you hit yeah, with okay. mallets. Didn't anybody teach you that you may as well take up the violin or the recorder or, or a trumpet or something you could carry around? I should have. You but should've. my grandpa played the marimba, so I was following oh. the family. Tradition. Yeah. Mm. Now tell me you also played the organ. No. No. All right. <laughs> okay. So how did you go at high school? Oh, pretty good because I was really studious. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't wast- Obsessive even. You weren't wasting your time on the sporting field? No. Volleyball. Oh, I played all the team sports. That was fun. Like what? Like soccer and netball. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. All right, so you're healthy. You're 16 or 17. You graduate, I assume, with flying colours. Honours. Number one. Nearly. Nearly. <laughs> what do you mean nearly? You came second. I think so, yeah. In the state. 
No, in my school. In school, you came second. I think so. We yeah. only we only interview people who come first, Jemima. <laughs> yeah, I better get in touch. Uh, Dale, with could that you day. sort this out, please? <laughs> Joe, you're going to have to kick yourself out of the studio. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> well, that's right. I never came first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so your world's your oyster. What did you do? I was young and naive mm. and listened to bad advice. Yes. And studied veterinary science. That's all right. If you want to torture animals, that's good. But I should have studied ecology. That's what I wanted to do. But I listened to advice about having a stable career. Oh, right, right. But then you thought you could be a, a native species veterinarian. Yeah, I thought it would at least be a useful skill to Mm, contribute to mm, conservation. mm. So how many years did you do this for? Six years. So you're actually a veterinarian? Yep. Could I tell you about my cat? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Yeah, we get that. I assume you get that all the time at parties. (laughs) About my snail. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much snail, but cat all the time. Did did you... um, did you actually practice? I did for 18 months in Darwin. In da- oh, so you left Victor Harbour and went to Darwin. Well, this I did my undergrad in Melbourne, so I left Melbourne. Excuse me, you came to Melbourne mm-hmm. to do your undergrad for six years? They didn't have it in Adelaide when I started. What, I didn't have a vet school? No, it started two years after I started what studying in Melbourne. What year did you go to vet school? What year did you start vet school? Uh, 2000 and Six. Six. Seven, 2007. There was no vet school in the no. whole of South Australia. No, there is now. There is no, that's extraordinary. Hmm. You'd think it'd be a basic thing to have. You know? Oh, well, it's South Australia. <laughs> I don't know much about it. I've only been there a few times. All right, let, let's get him back. So what was undergraduate life like in Melbourne? For vet students, mm. torture. Um, you didn't go to Melbourne University, did I you? I did go to Melbourne yeah, Uni. I thought so. When you use the word torture. Yeah. Right. Um, I was a really obsessive student mm-hmm. and there was just so much content to learn. Mm-hmm. I studied all the time and I had no work life, no study life balance. So you, sp- you spent six years cloistered as a nun, basically. Basically, yeah. Veterinarian nun. Basically. Mm. So no wonder you felt a little bit burnt out when you finished the six years. Yes. So mm. I think it's good to race off to Darwin. <laughs> and you didn't have a gap year either, did you? I had a gap year before I started uni um, so I could afford to move interstate for uni. So I worked for a year. Mm. So I could qualify. They called it qualify as independent so then you can get Centrelink yes. support. But that's not a gap year. That's just a bloody... Yeah, yeah that was under, just working and underpaid jobs and underpaid that I hated. Job. Like yep. what? Like in a bakery mm. and as a tutor, stuff like that. All right. Okay, so we go to Darwin. You've got your veterinary degree. The world is your oyster. What happens? Theoretically. Um. Well, <laughs> look, come on, come on. You're young, you're healthy, you're intelligent. <laughs> You've just f- finished a six-year degree. Yep. You're a veterinarian. The cash is starting to flow in. You yeah. f- fly off to Darwin. <laughs> you got a job. What are you complaining about? What happens? <laughs> Um, being a vet is a pretty shit lifestyle. Um, you Why? Have, well, the hours are horrendous, so you have no work-life balance, like being a vet student. Yeah, but it would have made no difference to you. You wouldn't know what life would That's balance true, life. but I was really tired. All right, all right. Um, and I'm interested in other things. Was, and it, was, was it a private clinic? or? Did you yeah, I was working in a private practice in Darwin, but right. we also 
provided veterinary services for the Territory Wildlife Park. So mm-hmm. when my boss was away, I got to do that for a couple of half days a week, which I loved. So what, you got to see monotremes and short-nosed uh, kidnas, did you? Mm, they didn't have any monotremes, but other local wildlife. Like what? Like um, they had a breeding program of the northern quoll, training mm-hmm. them to avoid eating cane toads oh, nice. and sugar gliders, bandicoots. Um, crocodiles, all sorts of things, birds. What do you think of crocodiles? Um, well, I only ever dealt with the freshwater ones or oh, the babies, right. so, so that was fine. fine yeah. <laughs> I got to think about crocodiles. <laughs> I remember I was camping, which you shouldn't, on a, some river in Narnham land, but that's another story. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you, it's terrible. All right. <laughs> Again, I still can't find Luigi. He was camping with me. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> That's a bad joke. <laughs> it's 4.31. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. We're streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. I am chatting, not interviewing, with Jemima. Oh, my glasses. Amory Gale, that's it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dale's doing all the technical support and helping me out when I bomb out, as I usually do. All right, one and a half years. You'd be, what, 26 now, 27? Yeah, something like that. Yep. So you've wasted a quarter of your life. Well, a third of your life. Mm-hmm. Studying stuff I wasn't particularly interested in. So what was the the big moment? What what was that road to Damascus moment when you changed route? What happened? Um, I found a way out of private practice. I applied for a residency um, at Hillsville Sanctuary, so mm-hmm. with Suze Victoria. Right. And I did a two-year, it's a combination of master's research and working in the clinic at Hillsville Sanctuary. Right. Did you get paid for that? I got a student stipend, master's stipend. Which is, what, 200 bucks a week or something? 30 grand a year. 30 grand, 600. So did, did, you, did you get accommodation there? No. Nope. a residency? No? I rented a house. What, in Hillsville? Mm-hmm. Rents aren't easy in Hillsville. No. <laughs> <laughs> I break even. <laughs> you broke, I could imagine. I mean, I mean, I know Hillsville well, and uh, <laughs> it's out of most people's... Oh, I shared with my auntie because she was teaching at Warrawa College. Oh, right, right. So, oh, there's that connection yeah. again, the linguistic connection. Is this, is, this, is this your family disease? Is it everybody's linguist? Your um, mother, your father, your, your auntie? Well, my auntie's a teacher who specialises in Indigenous education. <laughs> I don't know where these people went and wrong. My dad's brother also works with Indigenous <laughs> Australians. Have you, ever, have you heard this before, Dale? This is, this is extraordinary. It's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, well, you may think so. Mm. But you're a, you're a normal human being. <laughs> All right. Okay. What was the highlight of those two years? Because that would have been quite exciting. Because they've got some interesting breeding programs, yeah, haven't they? It was a privilege to be able to mm. work hands-on with our amazing wildlife. So which programs were you involved in? Um, Well, my research was on diseases of birds that can be transmitted to humans. That's exceptionally important. Yeah. Because every year there are people who get um, pneumococcal diseases from birds. Yeah, pseudocosis. That's right. They keep little birdies inside and get them to run on their arms. Yep. And they go, coochie, 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 (laughs) coo, and they kiss them on the beak. Never kiss a parrot. (laughs) 
<laughs> Night to self. Exactly. Work is a parent. They get horrible <laughs> lung infections. Yes. I've said it over and over again in my practice. So mm. it's so funny. But you can't. That's good that you know about it. Well, I've been a doctor for 43 yeah, years. I hope I know. Yeah, but I've doctors who've what? never heard about it. It's well, very you're concerning. You're kidding. No. No. Well, everybody knows about lung disease. Well, all good doctors know about it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I wouldn't call myself a good doctor. <laughs> but, you know, my experience, your, like your experience, is based on a pile of bodies, you know? You learn. You learn. Mm-hmm. And what other breeding what other breeding programs are involved in the Hillsville Zoo? Well, they have breeding programs there for lead beaters, possums, mm. mountain pygmy possums, mm. corroboree frogs, mm. helmeted honey eaters, mm. orange-bellied parrots, mm. all these critically endangered species. But that they're all nice species. They are. They all are nice so species. nice and pleasant. Cause Tasmanian I've been, devils, they're still nice. Though. Yeah, but I've been, I've been to, I've been to Hillsville Zoo many times, and obviously you take all your overseas visitors, visitors there because it's a mm-hmm. cheap day out. They don't know that. They're excited. <laughs> But it's a cheap day, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they're all nice. Are there any ugly animals that you're... Res- no. 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 I can't think of a single no one. No such thing as an ugly animal no. other than human. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> Did they let you into the platypus enclosure? Yeah. My good friends are the platypus keepers. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can see where this is coming from. A monitoring expert. And, yep. how, and how are they faring at Hillsville? Not just the zoo, but outside the zoo. Um, well, there's been a lot of traction with these campaigns to ban the opera house nets that platypuses get caught in. Mm. So that's really positive. A lot of um, that's retailers that's, that's are banning for, um, them. Those little yabby, yabby things. Yeah. Yabby things, yeah, yeah. Um, so platypuses and echidnas aren't in too much trouble in Australia. The populations mm. are okay. Remember the good old days when you put a piece of meat at the end of a, a rope? <laughs> You chuck yeah, it in the water. People are lazy. You catch days. a yabby. That, that was the fun as a kid, mm-hmm. you know. You'd throw in and pull a yabby up and then you'd eat them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so how long did that job last? Two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. So when the residency finished, they said, there's no job for you. Go, Jemima. Well, I'd already found something else, but, yeah, basically. <laughs> so so what, what, what year is this? Um, that was mid-2016 I finished. Right. So you've got, you've got, you've got a master's in what? Veterinary science. <laughs> Oof. You're a high-powered intellectual there. Yeah. Mm. A master's in veterinary science, specialising in what? Care of Australian wildlife. Right. Okay. All right. So you're not into roadkill? No. 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 All right. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When you drive around Australia that you kind of... Yeah, it's About horrific. the only thing you notice sometimes is just the roadkill. Especially Tassie, yeah. Kangaroo Island. Is it? Kangaroo mm-hmm. Island? Well, they've got lots of the Tamar wallabies, uh-huh. and they just get hit all the time. Yeah, yeah. I remember travelling through central Australia a few years back and seeing all, is it wedge-tailed eagles, the mm-hmm. big eagles, sitting on the power poles, mm-hmm. waiting for dinner. <laughs> but then they're too heavy to take off and they get hit too. They get hit too. I didn't see any dinner. So if you see roadkill, it's good to drag it off the road. Check the pouch and drag it off the road. Check the pouch? Mm-hmm. What do you mean, check the pouch? Because the joey might not be dead if it's a female with a baby in the pouch. What joey? Well, it's often marsupials that are hit on the road. All right, okay, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I hit a kangaroo, kick it to death because it's damaged the car. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're giving it a humane death, right? That's right, yeah, yeah, with my (laughs) boot. All right. And then how do you find the pouch? 
Um, it's on the front of the belly. Mm. Um, usually it's easy enough to find. There'll be something squirming in it if there's something alive and what? it's not too cold. What? You put your hand in the pouch? Yeah, you can open up the entrance. Right. Because it's stretchy skin and muscle. Right, right. So mm. it's quite easy to see a pouch. Usually, yeah. Mm. If the kangaroo's not dead, you've got, you got big problems, haven't you? Like claws down the back of your neck or something. <laughs> well, hopefully you can call... Wildlife Victoria in Victoria. In Victoria. All right. All right. Okay. All right. I find this squeezy little thing. What do I do next? Um, you'd call no, hang a care no, no, organisation. No, 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 no. We're out of range. Oh, okay. there's, no, there's places in Victoria where there's no internet. <laughs> I want to know, what do I do? Well, I just, or do, I just, do I just leave it in the pouch in the middle of the road or do I do something with the jelly? You could put it in a beanie and stuff it down your shirt. In a beanie and stuff it down your shirt. And yep, then you, and then try you, and keep it warm. And then you call Wildlife Victoria. Mm-hmm. If I take it to a vet on the way through a town, they'll, what, just euthanise it or something? Uh, no, most no? vets will find a carer. A carer it. for it. Okay. Depends how damaged it is. So it's worthwhile stopping. Yeah. If it's not rotting. Because it's going to be a slow death for a joey in its right. dead mother's pouch. Right. So what, there'd be enough milk to sustain it for a day or two or something? Um... No, they'd probably die of getting cold before that. Right. And wombats. I see a lot of dead wombats. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we stop that? <sighs> Speed restrictions. Speed restrictions. Would help. Signs. Mm. Do wombats yeah. wander around in the dark? Yep. Oh. Most of our wildlife's nocturnal. Or oh. our mammal, mammalian wildlife. I did notice that. Driving in South Australia last year in the Flinders Ranges... There are a lot of kangaroos. Yes, there are a lot of kangaroos. Huge amount. Okay, all right. So we've learned what to do. And you ring these this number and somebody takes it off your hand. So it's worthwhile doing, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I believe so. You believe so. That's good. All right, so so if 2016, what did you mm-hmm. what did you move into? Um, I moved into a temporary contract in East Arnhem Land, um, Oh, I've heard As this before. Didn't I hear Arnhem Land before when you were three or something? Well, I was conceived in East Arnhem Land. Oh! <laughs> in there are things. There are things that we don't need to know <laughs> on this program, Jemima. Did you really want that information, Dale? No, it's interesting. I was just wondering whether they were drinking greenies or blueies or yellowies. <laughs> <laughs> and whether, it was, whether they conceived in a tent or in the open. Is that what you're wondering? Oh, you know. With the sky, night sky and the stars. <laughs> Big sky up there. Could have, been, yeah. could have been a falling star and that's mm-hmm. when you were conceived. Possible. Well, I it's quite know. possible. <laughs> Your second name is an Etoile, is it? No, my second names are Yolngo names. Which, that which, I was are what, given. which are what? Wapalina and Ngarichbir. And uh, do they uh, have any particular meaning? Yeah, they're the names of two sacred islands off the coast that belong to the people that gave me those names. All right, so you went back. Is this the first time you've been back to East Arnhem Land since you were three? I'd been to West Arnhem Land, but I'd never been to East, because we were in Darwin mm. when I was little. So yep. I was, mum was pregnant with me. Yep. In East Arnhem, but I'd never been as a non-fetus, I guess. <laughs> oh, so you'd never been in East Arnhem Land as a non-Joey. Yes, exactly. Right, you were a Joey in your mama's, mummy's pouch, but now you're going back as an adult. Yes. All right. What did you think of East Arnhem Land? I loved it. it was well, it's hot, it's miserable, there's mosquitoes, crocodiles. What did you like it's about it? It's hot in the wet season, yes, mm, but no. I loved the people. It was probably... What people? 
the young law people that I was working with. Oh. I was doing animal management work. Who are they? The young law people are the indigenous people of East Arnhem Land. You're kidding. Yep. How long have they been there for? 60,000 years. 60,000 years? Well, I think it's about that. Really? Between 40 and 60. Yep. 40 to 60,000 years they've been there? Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a problem. Why? Uh, are you going to tell me that the Aboriginal people in Victoria have been here for 60,000 years also? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> but we've only been here 222 or three years. Yep. We've got a problem. They may want their land back. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Oh, all right, let's go back to where you were. What was um, what was the situation regarding their their rights in terms of their traditional lands there? Um, they have land rights, but it only applies to the top meter or so of land. Right. So mining companies don't find too many restrictions to coming in. And people are fighting for their sea rights too. So, unlike the WIC people, they haven't got sea rights? No. Right. Okay, and they've got a metre of soil. Roughly that. So miners have exactly the same right there on traditional lands as they have on any other place? Well, they have to get traditional owner approval, but Mm. they find ways. Or you split communities. That's what you do. Yep. You shake the money bag and you split communities and Mm -hmm. family lines and clan lines. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm, it's an, it's an old tactic which is used constantly. What's the landscape like? Beautiful. That doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> I could think um, of snails beautiful. Describe well, it for us. I was really lucky that I got to fly around on little light aircraft Indeed. quite a lot between communities. What for? Well, I was my job was desexing dogs and cats and providing parasite control more as a human health service. Uh, because who are you providing parasite control for? For the animals, right. but um, dogs in particular carry sarcoptes, mm-hmm. mites, and mm-hmm. hookworms that can transiently infect humans and contribute to the cycle of streptococcal skin infections that lead to rheumatic fever and glomerulonephritis. And guess who's got the highest rate of rheumatic fever and glomerulonephritis in Australia? Our Indigenous Australians. Well, especially those in the top end, yep. in Arnhem Land. Mm-hmm. And so you act. Again, like your parents, you're doing exceptionally useful work, but at such a young age. Yeah, I was very privileged to be able to do that work. Mm. I loved doing it. How hard how, how is it to do sex a dog or a cat? Um, well, I've done a lot now, so mm. <laughs> I've got pretty practised at it. Pretty practised. So, so what? You kind of they hold it down and you dissex it, or how, how does it work uh, up there? Under anaesthetic. Under anaesthetic. What did you use? What did you use? Uh, diazepam ketamine was my favourite combination. Ketamine. It's a lot of people's favourite combination. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't sample the goodies, did you, Jemima? Of course. <laughs> Whoa, you're a good person to know. <laughs> we shouldn't go down this path. I don't think our listeners know what we're talking about, do they, Dale? Oh, let's just move on. Okay. All right. <laughs> Wise. All right. So, how many communities did you fly through? Well, I was living in Gullywinkle on Elko Island, Uh and I was covering Rumanginning, Millingimby, a little bit in Yerikala, a little bit Gapawiak, and a few outstations. And that was the same language in all those groups, or different languages? The same major language, Yongamata, but they have different dialects, like Jambarapoingo was dominant in Gullywinkle, Kupapoingo in Millingimby. Right, right, okay. And... um, 
different dialects. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's but good. they all understand each other. And did you understand anything? A little, and I did my best to learn some Yolngu while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remembered a little bit from when I was a kid because it's the language my parents were working with and their colleagues were Yolngu. Mm. And so where, where did you stay? In a house in Gullywinkle. I was mm-hmm. lucky I had a council house to live in. Right, right. Okay. And did you, was there much interaction between you and other people there? Yeah. Um, my colleague um, was a young animal management worker, so mm-hmm. we were a team of two every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... So what, did your colleague provide the translation? Or? Yeah, he yeah. was my interpreter. Trans- interpreter, basically. Yeah. Yep. And I went door to door. That's how we worked. So. What, you went door to door? You yep. knocked on the door and said, you got any dogs you want me to... Basically, yep. Yeah. And what did people say? Get away? No, because it was a well-established program that had been going for about a decade, so mm-hmm. people had seen the benefits and experienced it already, so most people were happy to mm. take up our service. So the dogs and cats were pets or they just hung around? Pets, yeah. Pets mainly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how about the ones that were hanging around the bush? What did you do with them? say almost all of them were owned. So, most of them, so there's not many in the wild. Well, there's a few dingoes further out right. in the periphery, but no, they're owned companion animals. So it's not like a lot of other communities where things have gone feral? Other communities, parts, other parts of Australia where cats and dogs are feral? Well, once dogs get over a certain number at one house, they sort of develop packs behaviour which can be very dangerous for mm-hmm. the kids in the community which is why we're keen on desexing them to prevent that right. happening right. but if the numbers are controlled then not so much and people are quite happy to have them controlled yeah right. okay all right what's it like living in it's basically it's a different world isn't it it is yeah what's it like living in a different world where you don't know the actual language and what people are talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> i loved it you yeah. loved it feel why? part of a community Uh, And I guess I had family connections because my parents had worked up there before, so um, there were relatives of the people they'd worked with, so I sort of slotted into the system. Right, right. But so how long did that job last for? Uh, That was about seven months. So it was a contract job, was it? Mm -hmm. Did they offer you a new contract or they said no? They did not. The white politics ruined my dream of staying on. The white politics. Yep. Do you want to discuss it or do you prefer not to because you um, want to go back again? It's probably defamatory if I do. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. No, no, that's fair enough. You're a very skilled person. You're relatively young, but you're very skilled and you've got an excellent background in terms of understanding the situation more than most. And it's a pity you can't work in an area you want to work in. Yeah, so you came back, what, to Melbourne or, or Victor Harbour, God's waiting room? I went back to a combination of Adelaide and Victor Harbour for about six months before I moved back to Melbourne. So what did you do for those six months? I wrote up papers from my masters that were still on my shoulders <laughs> to what? get published. So you got your masters but you hadn't published any work? I'd written, I'd finished the thesis mm-hmm. but I needed to publish the papers mm-hmm. in the journals. Did you publish any papers? Yeah, I've published two out of four mm-hmm. from that masters. What? Two were rejected, were they? One's been rejected twice, Ooh. and I'm still working on it. Right. And the third one's still in the pipeline, or the fourth one. Yeah. In the and w- which are the two that have been published, and where have they been published? 
Um, one was about beacon feather disease. Excuse me? Uh, beacon feather disease is caused by a virus. Mm-hmm. Insects, mainly uh, parrots and cockatoos. Right. Um, and in my study I found that other species can carry it that we didn't think were affected by it. Well, that's groundbreaking. Yeah. What did you publish in so. it? The Journal of Medical Microbiology. Well, that's, that's a pretty respected journal. It's not your usual internet journal. No, it's not bad. It, it's, no, it's very good. <laughs> no, look, I, I know about publishing papers, <laughs> and uh, I don't think people understand how hard it is it's to actually hard. get something published, especially something that breaks new ground, and you should be congratulated for that because that's an extraordinary feat for somebody so young. Thank you. <laughs> and what was the second paper? Uh, the second one was on, I did surveillance for influenza and avian influenza, Newcastle disease and um, coronaviruses and discovered a new paramyxovirus and a couple of new herpes viruses. In Excuse the me, could you, you just say that again? You discovered a paramyxovirus and a couple of, just a couple of new yeah. herpes viruses. <laughs> yeah, a couple of new avian herpes viruses. Um, you just discovered them, just found them. There they were. I sequenced a very small part of their genomes. <laughs> right, right. And they were different? Yes, different to the known uh, viruses. And I assume they call it Jemima virus now, are they? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you name them after yourself? Of course not. Isn't, isn't that's that poo-pooed. <laughs> and there's a formal system of nomenclature of there's viruses. There's a formal system. All right. So where was that paper published? That was in PLOS One. In what? It's called PLOS One Public Library of Science One. Right, and where's that, that journal? I have never heard of that journal. Where's that based? I think it's a UK journal. The UK journal. All right. Mm. It's not as prestigious as the other one. Probably not, no. No, I know it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> not probably not. But that's quite extraordinary. You've had an extraordinary life when you think about it. Um, now, I've met you down at the um, West Papuan office once or twice, not just mm-hmm. for you were just another ordinary human being and here I am talking to an extraordinary human being it just shows you you can't judge a a book by its cover so you came back to Melbourne what have you been doing here I started a PhD oh no (laughs) PhD in what in veterinary science I'm Uh trying to make an immunocontraceptive vaccine to help control feral cats in Australia oh that's extraordinary I'm trying (laughs) no that, that 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 If you can do that. Where were you doing that? I'm in the veterinary school at Melbourne Uni. Right. And you've got access to the laboratory, obviously. Yeah, I'm in the microbiology group. In the the group. Is this this just your little thing or is it there's a number of researchers in this area? Um, It was just my thing. There's a second PhD student started on a similar project just recently, but I'm... Mm. How many years are you into it? Two years? I'm nine months in. Nine months in. All right. Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? I don't want to steal your thunder because everybody's listening. They'll steal your ideas. But I'll just ask you a general, because I know what uh, <laughs> our competitive medical research is. Um, you see, you see, is it a possibility? When I started, I didn't think it was. Mm. But now I think it's still a very slim chance mm. of making something that could be practically used. But I think there is a small chance. Mm. And... Um, could you explain to us idiots um, what what are the practical ramifications if what you're looking at you're actually able to prove and develop? What are the practical ramifications? If I well, I'm trying to make virus-like particles mm-hmm. that contain feline reproductive peptides, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to make it so they could be delivered by bait or some sort of 
inhaled spray or aerosol. Right. So that means that a cat that takes in a dose would become infertile because its body would be tricked into generating an immune response against its own, something essential to its own reproduction. So if I can make something like that, it means you could spread baits, or I like the idea of crop dusting mm, with mm. these virus-like particles, mm. and it would help to control feral cats in Australia, which are the number one threatening process for mammals in Australia and eat at least 2,000 native animals every minute across the continent. Every minute? Every minute. Did you say that again? 2,000? At least 2,000 native animals every minute. It's astounding we've got any wildlife left, really. Uh, now, Dale, you realise we're um, talking to a potential Nobel Prize winner. No. If, if, if she develops Such this. ginormous if. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm, look, I understand. Look, I've done medical research and I do understand what you're taking on. So, you know, when you get your Nobel Prize, you can <laughs> say, Dale and Joe said, we both, we'll be both be dead by then. We'll have to be about 62 or 63 It's the rest of my life if yeah. I get anywhere. <laughs> you can say, well, they, they, they encourage me to go on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the great thing about encouragement is it doesn't cost anything. That's true. But it can be positive. No, I think that's an extraordinary. So what are you doing for the West Papuan Group? Um, well, I try to help where I can. How? Um, I'm involved in the Rent Collective. Mm. I help with the stalls that we have at various community events. Right. Um, I'm talking at the Open Day coming up in December for the office that the Rent Collective What Open, open Day? So the Federal Republic of West Papua has an office in Docklands mm. in a building in Collins Street and every quarter they open the office for the members of the rent collective that pay the rent and to keep the interested people who and want interested people and yeah. we need another 20 interested people to keep that office in Docklands <laughs> going that's 20 not 10 20 as the convener of the rent collective I actually look at the books every month I'm not happy Mm-mm. I'm not happy Jemima it is worrying you could be actually be on the street if this keeps up I mean very serious so the 9th of December what time I believe it's about one. Yeah, we usually have lunch That's at about one o'clock. Thing. Yeah, yep. it goes from about one till three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a delicious I, lunch catered by Dapur Sampari. Yeah, well, you may find this hard to believe, but Dapur Sampari is catering the Peter Norman uh, so event on, on Tuesday. Are you coming to that or are you too busy? I'm very tempted to skive off uni for the day and come. Oh, come along, because they're, they're, they're catering for the day. Remind our listeners the details of that event. Well, it's the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. We're marking the 50th anniversary of the Human Rights Salute and Peter Norman's involvement in that. We're having a one-day human rights summit from 10am to 4pm, three entry, massively interesting guest speakers, including... People like uh, Rob Starry, uh, Lydia Forp, uh, Rob DeCostello and lots of other interesting people. And it's free entry. And if you want to have lunch, Dampari Sampari is... Uh, what is it? Dampari Sampari is a catering. $12 for lunch. And if you can't afford it, I'm sure we'll find some money for you. Now, Jemima, mm-hmm. it's a pleasure talking to you. You too. Keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I mean we've had an extraordinary range of... Fascinating people come through the studio, and I must say, you're what we call top shelf. And people say, you know, the youth of today, well, Mm. all I can say is I've been very impressed with the youth of today, 
and I congratulate your parents and I congratulate you and I congratulate little sister because obviously she had something to do with this and your grandparents and your great grandparents (laughs) and you've made a wonderful contribution to Australian life and I wish you all the success and hopefully we'll be there to see you receive that Nobel Prize. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Dale. Bye. 